2.1 billion. That's a pretty big number. If you counted one number every second, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it would take you about 70 years to count to 2.1 billion. 2.1 billion people around the world claim the name of Jesus today. And 2.1 billion is just a fraction of the number of people who have followed Jesus for the last 2,000 years. But this worldwide family of believers began with only a small number of committed individuals who had an encounter with a power larger than themselves. That handful of people went from being faces in the crowd to active parts of a movement that would change the course of humanity forever. Through the Spirit of God, we have the potential for great things. Jesus has empowered each one of us to change the course of history. It's up to us to take on that challenge. The founders of the early church were not anything special on their own. They were ordinary people who encountered an extraordinary power and responded in obedience. That's their origin story. What's yours? We've got to get right into this this morning because we've got a lot to fit into a little amount of time. And the first thing I need to do is just uh, make a couple of announcements to you in terms of just some family business and some changes that are going on here at Bayview, especially in our kids' wing. And in order to communicate that to you, I want to tell you a story. Uh, on Sunday mornings, sometimes my wife, Amy, is part of the worship team and the choir. She's part of the choir this morning. Sometimes she is not. And so... Uh, what that means is there are days when she gets up early and she's here uh, even before the kids get up, really, on Sunday, and then I get up, bring the kids to church, and I check them in. Some days when she's not singing means that I'm up first, I'm off, head to church, and then she comes later on in the morning. She checks the kids in, and on this particular Sunday, it was one of those weeks where she checked the kids in for the second service, and then right after the second service, this service here, I rush back to see my kids because I miss them and because I want to see them, and because they love me even if I preach really poorly. And so I run back to get my daughter, Kaya, and she's four or four and a half years old, and she runs to the front of her class, and she's screaming, Daddy, 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 look what I made for you. Look what I did this morning, Daddy. That's, that's how she sounds. And Daddy, 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 right? She's going crazy. And I say, yeah, babe, I'm so glad. And we give her a hug. And I said to our Bayview Kids team uh, member in there, our serve team member, I said, uh, well, thanks so much for serving today, and I'll just sign her out real quick. And, she, and our Baby Kids Serve team member said, may I see your sticker? <laughs> I said, what do you mean, my, my sticker? See, what this individual was looking for was this little sticker right here, because when you check your kids in, which I did this morning, so I have the sticker... They give a sticker to your kids, and they put their name right there on their back, just in case they forget it. They can look. Oh, yeah, Kaya. Okay, good. They, they, they stick it on their back, and then when you come to get your kids, this sticker has to match their sticker, and then they give you your kids. But Amy had checked my kids in that morning, so I did not have my sticker. And something went through my head that I thought never in my life would go through my head. And I almost said it out loud. Do you know who I am? <laughs> and because I know this guy who serves in baby kids, he's an outstanding human being. I love him so much. I'm sure that he would have said, yes, sir, I do. You're the guy who's trying to get kids without a sticker. <laughs> of course I know who you are. And the reason that we do stuff like that is because the safety and security of our kids' wing is of the utmost importance here at Baby Glen. Does that make sense to you? 
Because those guys really, they can't defend themselves, they can't watch out for themselves, and so we got to watch out for them. And that's one change, uh, one rule, so to speak, that we've now put into place, and there are no exceptions, I can speak from experience. <laughs> there are no exceptions. And there's a couple other things that we're going to do uh, that, we've, that we've worked hard with a lawyer, with our insurance company, with a policy called Plan to Protect, which is applicable for every Alliance Church across Canada, put a couple of things into place to help us increase safety and security for our children in our children's wing. If you don't like these things, these policies, uh, uh, I don't care. <laughs> because this is to protect kids. Okay, so here's the first one. The first one is this. When we check our kids in, this includes me, starting July 14th, instead of having check-in stations kind of throughout the kids' wing, we're gonna move them all to the front here, this very front entrance where you, you can come in from the parking lot, the lower lot, or you can come in uh, down the stairs and turn around the kids' wing. It'll all be centralized in one place in the front. So that means if you are an adult, your pass in order to be back in the children's wing is one of two things. One, your ID, your lanyard that says your name on it. And the only reason you get a lanyard like that is because you have gone through a police check and you have gone through plan to protect. You have gone through our training and you've been deployed as a volunteer. The other pass that will get you into your kid's wing is this little sticker right here. So I can go back there today because I don't have a lanyard, but I do have a sticker because I learned from experience. All right? So if you're a parent picking up your child, make sure you have your sticker, and this sticker will get the two of you back there, but if one of you goes back and then five minutes later the other one wants to go back, they'll say, no thank you sir, you can't go back, or no thank you ma'am, and then you will respond with, do you know who I am? All right, so that's starting on July 14th. The second thing that we're going to be doing is closing two entrances that make our kids' wing accessible to folks who haven't been yet police checked. And, and here's what we're gonna do. The entrance on the way far end where you have to go up the heavenly staircase from the lower lot, you know which one I'm talking about? That one? We're gonna close and lock that from the outside beginning when service begins. That's on, on, starting on July 14th. So that entrance will be closed and locked from the outside starting on July 14th. It will not be closed and locked from the inside. You'll still be able to get out that door because it's a fire exit. You won't be able to get in that door. The second thing that's gonna happen is... Um, this entrance up in the upper foyer, if you picture yourself coming in the upper foyer, you can either just go straight down that staircase and into the lower foyer, or you can take two steps in and turn right, and right behind you, there's kind of this nondescript push bar door. We're going to lock that one, too, and there's going to be a sign there redirecting you so that we don't kind of have people wandering around through our children's wing that haven't been police checked and safe and secure and all of that stuff. So um, here's, here's the thing. Um, that these uh, stipulations and regulations or whatever, they're in place to protect our kids. And we're gonna do our best to help kind of solve for some of the issues that you might already be thinking about and all that stuff. But I wanted to give you a heads up in advance so you can start planning for July 14th when that, uh, when that um, goes into effect and that transition happens. Sound good? Good. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. Thanks for the choir and worship team and uh, just for those, Amelia, who sang the solo, God, who gave just so much of themselves to the body this morning. We were blessed by it. God, you've told us that you've given each one a spiritual gift and you've given each abilities and passions as well and just natural skills and tools that they, these guys have developed over time and here they are coming to bless our body with those things. We are so grateful. 
And that's not just them, that's our ESL volunteers throughout the week and our serve team members in our uh, kids wing and, and youth uh, team members up, up in uh, serving in youth right now, God, all over our campus and around our city and even around our world, you are uh, using people who you have called and equipped and we are so grateful for it. God, teach us now through your Holy Spirit, open our eyes and ears and uh, may you really galvanize us through your spirit to, to this mission that we've been talking about for the last number of weeks. In Christ's name, God's people together said, amen. If you're brand new with us, here's what we've been doing in this series called Origin Story. And this is our very last Sunday in Origin Story. We've been talking about our mission, vision, and values. And not just our mission, vision, and values kind of in a vacuum, but our mission, vision, and values, especially as, as, as they are related to scripture and church history. In other words, what we've been finding is that, and discovering together, is that our mission, why we exist, our vision, kind of our preferred future, and the values that govern our behavior are not new. They're not, they're not just, you know, they've, they've just come about recently as Bayview Glen has come about. No, these are things that God has been calling his people to for the last number of centuries, even before Christ. And so we are just uh, picking up that baton and carrying it the next generation forward. We may articulate it a little bit differently than generations before us, but essentially it's the very same thing. Our origin story really affects and shapes who we are today. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna review much of what we've done over the last number of weeks. For some of you, this will be a review. For some of you, there will be some new information because you missed a Sunday or two, that's fine. But at the end of my time this morning, which is only about 20 minutes, what we're gonna do is take some questions and answer them live. So here's the thing. If you have a tea time or a lunch appointment, don't ask any questions because that will make our service shorter, okay? But if you want to interact with this, which I really would like us to interact with this as a body, we're gonna field some questions and answer them live. Here's how we're gonna do that. There's a number up here on the screen. It's 289-378-7013, and I would love for you to jot that number down at some point uh, right now. would be a great time to do it. Pick up your phone, put up pen and paper, whatever, and you can text questions into that number throughout the sermon. It will be uh, on, on the screen, uh, not just now, but even throughout the sermon, kind of uh, sp sprinkled throughout our slides this morning. And if you have a question or a comment and you want to provide some feedback, please do that. All of those are going to go to Dave Lewis, and Dave Lewis is going to come up towards the end of my time and help us uh, facilitate a time of answering those questions. I was reading a book uh, this week called... Um, called is it Chasing the Scream, no, it was Lost Connections uh, by a guy named Johan Hari. And it's a book about the real causes of depression and anxiety and uh, the clinical nature of kind of what we go through. And one of the things that Johan Hari observes is that a disconnection from others and a disconnection from work and these disconnections in our life really feed into clinical depression and anxiety. But it's interesting, Johan Hari tells this story about a woman named Curie who in 2011 posted a notice in her uh, housing project that she was going to take her own life that very week. Now, the reason she posted that notice in her housing project is you got to kind of understand the background and the culture a little bit here. In the 1960s, when the Berlin Wall was built, it wasn't built like just kind of a straight line. It was built a little bit in haste, and there was kind of nooks and crannies and turns and jigs and jags and all that stuff throughout the Berlin Wall. And this housing project that Curie lived in called 
Cote was in West Berlin, but it was kind of like a tooth that stuck out into East Berlin. It was right uh, snugged up against the wall between East and West Berlin. What that meant for Cote, that uh, housing project in that kind of ghetto area, is that it was right on the front lines of the militarized zone, right? It was right on the front lines. In case the Soviets really start sweeping through here and taking over Germany, Koti would be the first to go. So did people want to live in Koti or not want to live in Koti? They didn't want to live in Koti, right? So everybody moved out. And according to Johann Hari, the people that moved in were those who were impoverished. They were immigrants, the homosexual population. A lot of folks that were ostracized, marginalized, forgotten about in West Berlin at that time moved into that ghetto. But then in the 1990s, when the Berlin Wall fell, all of a sudden, instead of Koti being on the front lines of the militarized zone, it was right smack dab in the middle of the city where everybody wanted to live. It was like taking the South Bronx and picking it up overnight and dropping it right smack dab in the middle of Manhattan. And rents did what? Skyrocketed. So all of these poor people living on government-subsidized incomes, all these people that were living in housing projects, all these people that were scraping to get by on a day-to-day basis just had their rents tripled. And Curie was one of them. And over the course of 20 years... Those rents kept going higher and higher and higher and higher and higher until Kurye could not pay her rent anymore. 65-year-old Turkish Muslim immigrant to Germany. She'd had enough. And before she was taken away from her apartment, she was going to take her own life. Her neighbors read her notice, and they decided to rally together in order to protest the increase in rent. And what they did was they kind of set up a makeshift area down on the main street there in Koti to let everybody know we're not going anywhere. Remember the Occupy movement, Occupy this, Occupy that? It was kind of part of that movement. And they wheeled Curie out because she was confined to a wheelchair at 65 years old. And they put her right outside of these barricades, and they said, you see, this is what we're doing to the people of our our community. What the residents of Koti decided to do was they decided to have someone man that uh, barricaded zone to be present there at all times so that if and when the police showed up, any time, day or night, they would sound an air horn and all the residents could come out of their homes, gather together and tell the police, we're not going anywhere. And what they did real quickly and real haphazardly was say, everybody sign up for a shift, everybody sign up for a shift, you sign your name here, you sign your name here. And so they began to randomly put people together that had never really even met one another before. And because that a region there, that, that ghetto of Koti, was so uh, diverse economically, socially, politically, religiously, sexually, I mean diverse in every possible way you could think, they started putting two people together in a pair to man this barricade that would have never spoken to one another before that. Curie, 65 years old, Turkish immigrant, conservative Muslim, was paired with a young woman named Taina, 32 years old, bleach blonde hair, tattoos everywhere, vinyl records, German hipster. Could you imagine the disparity between the two? As Taina tells the story, she says, those first two nights that I was paired with Curie, I pretended I was working on my laptop so I wouldn't have to talk to her. (laughs) I mean, that's how different these two people were. And eventually, Taina started talking to Curie, and they discovered that they had both come to Germany as a result of broken relationships, and they were both single mothers trying to take care of their kids. Interestingly enough, they found a little bit of common ground. 
A young man named Mehmet who lived in Koti, who was 17 years old, struggling in school, loved hip-hop music, signed up to be a part of these people, these uh, pairs of people that would man the barricades. He was, he was paired with an active and adamant uh, communist in his early 80s named Detlev. <laughs> Detlev's first words to Mehmet when they were paired together was, this goes against all my values. <laughs> And here is Mehmet, this Turkish immigrant at 17 years old, just trying to finish his math homework, right? Over a couple of days, Detlef finally spoke up to Mehmet, and he says, I'm, I do okay at math. So Mehmet said, hey, would you help me with my homework while we do the night shift? And he said, yeah, he would. Mehmet ended up doing really, really well in math, went to university, and after the fact, said that Detlev became like a grandfather to him over the course of those few nights and subsequent weeks of the protest. There was an individual that became a part of that community in those barricades that was a paranoid schizophrenic. He was arrested, unfortunately, taken to an uh, inpatient hospital on the other side of town. And about 50 of the folks who lived in Kozi and part of the protest movement went to get him out and said, he does not need to be in a, a facility. He does not need to be uh, trapped or held. What he needs is authentic community and love and care and concern and balanced medication. So let's do both of those things. And the facility said, we'll let him out, but he needs to have a place to live, he needs to have a place to eat, and he needs to have a job. And so Curie said, well, he can live with me. And, and, and the gay club that was right across the street from the barricades said, he can work here. He can find gainful employment here. And it was interesting because this gay club was part of the resistance movement as well because these people had grown up in that neighborhood as well. They had built that city. And so when they gathered people together to talk about this protest movement within the context of a gay club, all these very conservative Muslim Turkish immigrants were going, what am I doing in a gay club? And all the people who frequented the gay club are going, why are we letting Turkish people in here? They said, quite literally, we did not speak the same language, but we had common ground, and we had to find it, and had to find a common language. They eventually worked together to get this individual out, get him working, get him back as part of this, uh, this fostering and, 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 and flourishing community, and he did great. I started to ask myself this week, what is it that... What, what, what happened there? What, what is it that causes that? What catalyzes that? And I thought to myself, you know what? When people make a commitment that we're going to live in community together, that's what happens. And Johan Hari says, no, 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 that's not what happened. When people make a commitment to get along, then, then, then that's what happens. He says, nope, that's not what it is. When people make a commitment to help folks with addiction or substance abuse issues, to eliminate mental health, to eliminate poverty, to uh, whatever it is, that's how it happens. And he said, no. In that chapter, Johan Hari writes this. Here's why all of that happened. Watch. Everyone had a common goal. What Johan Hari said is that mission was first and everything else followed. When they had a common mission, 
when they had a common objective, when everybody agreed, we're staying here, we're not going anywhere, this is not fair, the natural outgrowth of all of those things were unique and supernatural friendships and community and rescuing people who have been falsely uh, incarcerated and, and jobs and less poverty and less struggle and less mental health and mental illness issues. All of those were a natural outgrowth of mission first, and then the rest followed. You know what? This is not a new notion. Because Jesus himself once said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the mission. And then all these things will be added to you. What's Jesus saying? Mission first. The rest will follow. And we get this twisted in Christian community all the time because we think that Christian fellowship and Christian friendships, that's the end goal. It's not. We think that sanctification, being more like Jesus, lives of holiness, that's the end game. And it's not. It's a good thing, not a bad thing, but it's not the end game. The end game is that the kingdom of God will descend on earth and be on earth as it is in heaven. And when we combine together and work together to make that happen, what you get is some natural outgrowths of radical community. It happens because we're on mission. What you get is radical sanctification. It happens because we're on mission. What you get is spirit empowerment and being on our knees in prayer. And it's all because we decide together, here is the mission. Here is the goal. And we're all in agreement. I want you to know two things about our mission here at Bayview Glen Church. I want you to know what it is and I want you to know why it is. Let's start with the why. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. The author of Hebrews is saying two things. Watch this. Make sure that you're running the race. Make sure that you're accomplishing the mission. Make sure that you have the objective clear. Make sure the mission is first. And watch this. And what should compel you to go after that mission is those who have come before you that have been on mission as well. In fact, the chapter just before this, the author of Hebrews lists all these people pre-Christ, Abraham, Jacob, Rahab, Moses, David, all of them who had this radical faith and pursued the mission of God. And so the author of Hebrews says, think about those people. Think about those. And now, 2,000 years later, we have all these, these figures in church history that we can think about. We can think about Paul and Peter and Diognetus and, and, and St. Augustine. His name's not St. Augustine. It's St. Augustine. St. Augustine is a saint. St. Augustine is in Florida, okay? So we think Augustine, and we can think about uh, David Brainerd, and we can think about uh, William Wilberforce and John Newton and all these folks who took up the mantle of Christ and carried the mission forward, and we consider that great cloud of witnesses who have given their lives for the mission of God, and it compels us to achieve the mission, and it brings crystal clarity to what our mission is, and our mission is this. We work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. We're going to pick it apart one piece at a time. We work together. You have a job here at Bayview Glen. You do not sit idly by and spectate. You participate. If you're not yet participating in the mission of Bayview Glen Church, we want to help you do that because that's what it means to be a fully functioning part of this body. Number two, everyone everywhere, not just for our families or for our cities, but to the ends of the earth, we want them to do two things, experience God's radical, unconditional, unrelenting love for them, transformative love for them, and his created purpose through Jesus, his created purpose, because God has a created purpose for your marriage. God has a created purpose for your finance. God has a design for your life. We want you to experience that through Jesus. 
Our vision is this. By 2030, we'd like to see 6,000 disciples, a family of 6,000 disciples. And that would be Bayview Glen with 3,000 in life groups and 3,000 in serve teams. But we have these values, too, that govern our behavior as we go. Make sure that we're on track. The values, uh, six of them are Jesus first. Uh, Next slide, please. Jesus first, everybody somebody, better together, made new to renew, God gets our best and God can do it. Let me just pick them apart again, one at a time. Jesus first, Jesus first. He is preeminent, he is exalted, he's number one, he's first on our minds, he's first on our hearts, first in our families, first in our worship. Why? Because Paul and Colossians said the son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, and in him all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. He is exalted above all things. Jesus first. Number two is that everybody's somebody here. Everybody has value and worth and dignity. Why? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he came to the crown jewel of his creation, man and woman, he said this, let us create man in his own image. And so he did create mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. That word is icon. You're a bunch of icons of God running around the planet. That's what we are. We are to carry his mission forward. We are to be his representatives and reflect him on the earth. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. So every human being, I don't care. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I don't care your faith background, your sexuality, your gender identity, your political view. I don't care. I don't care. Old I don't care. You have innate worth and dignity because God has declared it to be so. And we're going to treat you that way here at Bayview Glen. Number four, we're better together. Or number three, we're better together. We're better together. We do this better when we work together. I love how Paul says it because Paul has a lot of analogies for how the church is supposed to work. It's supposed to work like a family. Supposed to, and one of them, he's supposed to work like a human body. Love this. He says, the hand can't, or the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but my hands don't do a lot of seeing for me. Unless it's like the middle of the night, you get up to go to the washroom, you ever done that before, and you're like, oh God, my hands have to see some stuff, right? Like, please let me find where I am. But it's my eyes that do most of my seeing, so my hands can't say, I don't need you. But my eyes can't pick anything up, so my eyes can't say to my hands, I don't need you. My feet can't say to my head, I don't need you. We need one another to work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. We are better together. Number four, we're made new to renew. We're not just saved to go to heaven when we die. We're saved to bring God's goodness and his kingdom and his word and his Uh, grace to the nations. We are blessed to be a blessing. We have been changed to bring change. We're made new to renew. Why? Because Paul says that God has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. He reconciled the world through himself through Christ, and he entrusts to us the ministry of reconciliation. So that's reconciliation of God to man, but it's also reconciliation of man to man. It's also reconciliation of the world unto itself. It's God's plan to make all things new. Number five, God gets our best. God gets our best. Just okay is not okay at Bayview Glen. This is not perfection that we're looking for, that we aspire to, that we strive for, because we know that's not possible on this side of glory. But we give everything that we've got every time. God gets the best of our time, of our finances, of our thoughts, of our affections. God gets our best. That's why Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord rather than a human master. How would that change the way you went to work tomorrow morning, by the way? If your boss was God. It might change the way you work. It might not, but it might. It might. 
So Paul says, hey, picture it that way in every aspect of life. Your boss is God. How hard would you work? Okay, I would give my best. Okay, God gets my best. I get that. Okay? And here's the last thing. This is a great thing. We have absolutely no way to accomplish this vision. You know that? It's too big. It's too audacious. It's too grand. When Jesus says, there's these miracles, you'll do greater things than these. The greater things that he's talking about is life transformation in the 21st century. Like that's one of them. And we can't do that. But watch this. God can do it. God can God can do it. He can uh, rectify a broken relationship and reconcile you to a friend that, 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 that there's been a rift there. He can save your marriage. He can save your internal self. He can save you from an eternity apart from him. He can do those. He can forgive your sin. He can do it. There's this moment in the Gospels where the apostle, Jesus is doing some miracles. He's casting out demons, all kinds of stuff. The apostles, the apostles try. The disciples, they try it. They try to do it, and they fail miserably. And they come to Jesus, and they go, what is up with us, man? You can do it. Why can't we? Jesus, watch what Jesus says. He says, he replied, because you have so little faith. Oh, very encouraging word, Jesus, watch. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it's the smallest seed in all of first century Palestine. Faith that big, minuscule. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and say those three words with me. It will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. What's he saying? God can do it. God can do it when we trust him. Even with the little, feeble, humble, meager trust that we have, God can do it. So here it is. Bayview Glen will be a church on mission. We will not be a church with a missions department. We are the missions department, friends. (laughs) On mission for God. And when mission comes first, the rest will follow. The community, the connection, the hope, the healing, all of those things that we so long for, that our hearts desire, those things will follow. And here's the mission. We work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. Now, 11 and a half minutes left. Everybody say hi to your friend and mine, Dave Lewis. Say hi, Dave. Hey. Everybody, you can clap for Dave. That's, that's good. <clears throat> so we're going to do our best to address a few questions here. I did see the list of questions from the first service, and it was quite lengthy. How would we do in this one? Yeah, we did, did great. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're going to get to as many of them as we possibly can. Some of them we won't be able to get to. Some of them we could get to. We just don't want to. Um, ah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, I say that kind of stuff. Does that make you nervous when I say that kind of stuff? Totally. I feel like I have to hug people after that. (laughs) All right. Uh, Uh, But we're going to do our best because, like I said, it's it's, it's just so great for me uh, and and I think for us as a body to interact with this stuff a little bit, think about it, talk about it, comment on it, ask questions, because our hope is that this defines our church going forward. Dave. Mm -hmm. All right, well, um, I'm, I'm going to start off with one that just came in as we were talking because uh, I thought it was great. Um, can you speak to, sorry, it just got covered up by another question. Here we go. Can you speak to how putting the missions, mission first aligns with the scripture passage, without vision, people perish? The mission first aligns with, without vision, people perish. You, you can go ahead and answer you that You want me to answer that yeah. first? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, 
Well, it's a proverb. I'll take, I'll take, I'll, it's, it's a, a proverb. proverb. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think, yeah. you know, I think that, uh, um, you know, often we talk about mission vision. Uh, the reality is, is that, uh, you know, like they're two, they're two different things. And so a vision is like you've talked about, right, this picture of the preferred future that we want to get to in 2030. And kind of the mission uh, talks about like, well, how, how are we going to do that, right? And so the, the mission is how do we, we're going to work together, you know, like Lucas talked about here. We're going to do this thing together and we're going to hit <clears throat> this vision out on the, this picture out on the horizon and, uh, and so, yeah, if we don't have uh, a picture out there that we're shooting for, that we're trying to achieve, we will perish, all right? We're, we're just going to be like a boat with no rudder, all right? We're not going to have a direction to where we're going. So that's how I would answer that. Yeah, I don't know if so you want to add something yeah, I'll, to no, that. I'll just add. That's, that's great. Um, one of the other translations of that text says, without vision, the people cast off restraint, so we don't have a, a preferred outcome, a preferred future direction. We cast off restraint, and we, and we kind of get a little bit woolly, like David's saying, like a boat without a rudder. So uh, let me just give you a quick example. Has anyone in the room ever uh, run a marathon? Shoot, shoot your hand up if you ever run a marathon. Oh, man, I'm so glad no hands are going up. You're like me. Oh, this is great. It's <laughs> great. It's awesome. I, I have a really good friend uh, who actually was a national champion at Stanford. They called him the machine. He was a distance runner at Stanford. People are like, you're not a human being, you are a robot, like a distance running robot. And he said that every time you run a marathon or a distance race, you hit the wall. Have you heard of the wall? You just hit this point where your body wants to give up and stuff starts falling off. Your body begins to cast off restraint, so to speak. I just don't wanna do that anymore. And you know what they tell every single marathon runner to focus on? Finish line. Focus on the finish line. Don't look at the guy next to you. Don't think about one step, two step. Don't do that. Don't think about the next time I'm gonna get water. Don't think about anything. You just picture that finish line in your mind. And without that finish line, we begin to cast off restraint. We can quit. We can grow weary, all of those things. But when we have that preferred future ahead of us, at all times, it empowers us and, and moves us forward so that we're not perishing, so that we're flourishing and moving towards that mission. Awesome. So I'm, I'm just going to keep going on the vision statement because that's a popular one here. Um, how was 2030 selected? Oh, that's, wow. That's a good one. Um, we wanted to, well, first of all, th this mission statement, vision statement and values, this is now four years in the making of prayer uh, on the part of our elders, of outside help and counsel, prayer on the part of our pastors. I mean, this didn't just like, I wasn't in my office one day and jotted this down on a whiteboard, took a picture of it and said, hey everybody, here it is, right? Like, this has been something that we've worked together to collectively to do. And so, um, as we prayed about that, we kind of sensed that God was, uh, was revealing to us or, or, or giving us some direction in setting a date that wasn't like way far out, right? Like if we set a date like by the year 2080, like most of us won't be here by then, right? Or by the year 2021, like, you know, that's just right out ahead of us, something that was just kind of uh, out on the horizon but not so far out of reach that we, we can begin to work towards. And we felt like uh, God kind of affirmed that through prayer. That's the best way I can answer that. All right. Perfect. Um, just uh, regarding our, our mission statement still is, uh, where, where are we currently at in regards to these numbers, 6,000, 3,000? Oh, it's a great question. Uh, typically, our Sunday morning adult attendance would be about between 1,000 and 1,100. Um, our kids' attendance would be about 180, give or take. Um, life groups have about 320 in them currently. Serve teams have a little over 300 in them. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're at a place where um, 
I think Bayview Glen, if you would even ask some of the former pastors, is really flourishing right now and growing and healthy, and we're excited about what God is doing. Uh, and yeah, we have these, these markers out on the horizon as we move towards them. Uh, one of the things Dave emailed or texted me a couple days ago, and I love when Dave does math, but <laughs> he did this work back plan. He said, what would it take for us to get to you know, 3,000 in life groups by 2020? That's big. That's a, that's a big goal. If every one of our current life groups multiplied every two years, and that's not that hard. I'm in a life group, and we're at that point where we're trying to think about multiplication. If we, if we multiply groups every two years, our current groups, and we did that every two years until 2020, how many people will we have in life groups in 2030? 2030. 2030 would be 800 groups and 8,000 in life groups. So it seems that our goal might be a little too small, eh? Right? We think about these like way big. It's like we need to really kind of back it up a little bit and chop it up. You go, oh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's possible. And it's not just numbers. These are people that are experiencing authentic biblical missional community that's redeeming their soul and giving them life. I don't go to a life group because it's part of my job. I host because I want those people in my house. It's huge for me and my personal development as a believer. So it's not just about the numbers, but yeah, it's, it's a lot more achievable than we think. What else? Um, so one on serve teams here. When there are 3,000 people on serve teams, what are they gonna do? Is there really that big a need for volunteers? Well, first of all, we don't use the word volunteer, Dave. You should know that. I, 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 it's, no, we don't no, know that. No, Dave, no excuses. <sighs> Team members. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, here's, here's how we've kind of voiced it when it comes to serve teams is God doesn't need you. <laughs> he doesn't need me. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Last I checked, you are in it. He's yours or you're his. You belong to him. I belong to him. He can accomplish his mission, his vision. He could just snap a finger, wave a magic wand, whatever you wanted to do. He could do it. But what he's chosen to do is invite you and me into participating in bringing his kingdom. So when you say, is there a great need for volunteers or serve team members? I would say there's an extraordinary opportunity to do something with your life that's gonna matter for eternity. That's what I would say. And I would say part of my own personal joy and the joy of folks that are on serve teams comes directly from participating in that serve team. And there's a thousand ways you can serve. You can host a life group, facilitate a life group, serve in Bayview Kids, serve in our uh, tech and worship production, serve at Toronto Alliance Church every time we go down there and serve those guys. You can serve in ESL, you can serve in Alpha, you can serve, uh, what else, keep going Dave. Oh, sorry, I'm distracting my phone. Instagram is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and what we've done even lately is we've transitioned uh, from a serve model where you say, hey, I want to serve in this area, and we just kind of plug you in and get you going. We, we want to get to know you, your skills, gifts, abilities, plug you into a place where you're really making a huge impact for the kingdom of God. The opportunities to make an impact are extraordinary, countless, and we'd love to help you find one. All right. Uh, one, one on life groups here. Somebody asked, uh, how important uh, do we see life groups? Uh, and and they, used, they used this term missional communities too, which, I, oh, which wow. I was, yeah, 
blessed my heart. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. So life groups slash missional communities, how important are they to achieving our, our vision? Close your ears. Uh, not important at all. <laughs> uh, you know what is? Authentic biblical community. And, and, and life groups is the, are the vehicle, that's the kind of program that we've chosen to accomplish that. But authentic biblical community is, is foundational to the mission. If you're not experiencing authentic biblical community in your life, and what I mean by that is not Bible study. That's not authentic biblical community. There, there could be Bible, Bible involved. It's not prayer groups. There could be prayer involved. It's people who are sharing their life with one another, receiving life from God together. You may have heard this before. And on mission in the community to bring life and flourishing to the folks around them. Some people call those life groups. Some people call those missional communities. Some people call those church plants. Some people call those family groups. Some people go, call them any number of things. We call them life groups here. We call them life groups. But authentic, missional, biblical community, which we've defined at length, I think, uh, in this context and outside of this context, is, is absolutely foundational. If you are not in a life group, we would invite you to join one. Uh, they're starting all the time, and if you're going, you know what, um, I, there's not one near me, I couldn't find one that's convenient, we'll help you start one, really. And it's, that's the thing about life groups, is it's not complicated to lead a life group. You don't have to write like a 45-minute sermon every week and answer questions live. That's not what that is. It's having some people in your home and putting out a little snack and going, how's your week going? All right. Sorry, <laughs> there's a lot of questions coming in, um, and which is great. Uh, but I'm gonna ask uh, this one that we actually- have one more. One yeah, more. one more. So, so this, is, this came in um, partially in the first service, and then there was, a, there was one that actually, uh, you know, um, I thought accentuated the same question here in the second. So the first, the, from the first service, they asked, what does it mean to experience God's love and his creative purpose through Jesus? Yeah, right. And then the follow-up to this is, how can we all get on the same page? Like, I mean, it's like, wh what, are, what are we gonna do here to get everybody on the same page so that we, like, put our hands in the middle and actually work together to experience God's love and his creative purpose through Jesus. Okay, uh, I'll give it a shot. I don't know if I'll answer it exactly how, uh, you know, what that individual's looking for, but uh, what does it mean to experience God's love and his creative purpose through Jesus? We want every person on the planet to know that God loves them in an unconditional, extraordinary, and relentless fashion. When God is given the opportunity, everybody check this, when God is given the opportunity to introduce himself in the Old Testament, Moses says to him, right, who should I say is sending me? You tell him Yahweh, right? He introduces himself. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I don't know what, what the, you know, people say, tell me about yourself. What is the first thing that comes out of your mouth? I tell people my name. I tell people about my family. I tell people about my job. Here's, what, here's the first thing that comes out of God's mouth. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's what God wants people to know about him and experience about him. And when we begin to experience that love and we know we are unconditionally loved and valued, it transforms who we are. I watch it in my kids all the time, especially Kaya. When I wrap her up, your daddy loves you. He's proud of you. All of her shame starts to melt away. All of her kind of rigidity and desire to modify her behavior goes away. And her obedience to me is just her joy because we're working together on that. right? Because she knows how much I love her. That's the foundational piece. Then, here's the next piece. God has a created purpose. He has designed marriage. He's designed community. He's designed work. 
He's designed all kinds of different things, and he's explained that design throughout Scripture. And so when we experience that design, we put that design to work, we say, God has a plan for my life, I'm going to learn it and walk in it, then we experience total human flourishing. So our goal when we talk about God's love and his created purpose is partially to bring God glory, and, and that's true, but it's also to bring man joy. And when, when, when man is most joyful in God, God is most glorified. And, and so that's what we're on to. And then in terms of getting on the same page, our hope in this origin story thing was that we did get on the same page. What is our mission? We know it now. What's our vision? We know it now. And what are our values? And there will be ongoing reminders all throughout our campus, email, digital, all that stuff. And even as we talk uh, in corporate worship service and life group, if you're in one, on serve teams, if you're in one, all of those things, there will be ongoing reminders. This is our mission and this is our vision and we're working towards it together. I hope I did okay at answering yeah, that one. Yeah, you're great. I just, I just want to say this to um, because uh, I didn't get to say it in the first service, and that is this. If we didn't get to your question today. I have, I, I, oh, two things. First off, this isn't my real phone number. So those of you that text, hi, Pastor Dave, yeah. uh, I couldn't text you back. It cost me money, and I'm too cheap, so I'm not gonna text you back. So um, anyway. Neat, uh, neat. But yeah. yeah. Just Thanks so for you your know. honesty, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But just so you know, we will, uh, I will respond to each and every one of these questions, um, just, just, just so that you know that your question just didn't vanish into thin air. So, uh, so that's what we're gonna do. Awesome. Uh, and no, people are texting me more questions, thank you. Oh, good, All right. yeah, I'm it's out. awesome. I'm out, man. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. All right, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna respond in worship. Uh, and we've strategically chosen these songs, worship team, a couple of tunes, kind of an extended response time. And this first song is Do It Again. God, we've seen you move mountains and we believe in your church here. Baby Glenn, you can do it again and you will do it again. And the second one is Every Praise. It's just bringing glory and honor to the place that it's due. Jesus first. Let's pray. God, thank you for the clarity that we've been able to achieve and work towards as, as a church over the last number of years to... Um, with regard to mission and vision and values. God, would you stir up in our hearts a, such an affection for Christ and such a passion for what you're doing in the world that we would be compelled to join you in your mission, to seek your kingdom, and that we would see everything else that our hearts long for follow as a natural result of getting on mission. God, may this be kind of our a part of our normal conversation and nomenclature here that we work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. And God, that we would live out these values personally and corporately as a body, as families, as life groups and serve teams in every aspect of life that we experience. God, these values of Jesus first, value for every individual, everybody, somebody, that community is better than going alone, better together. God, that you get our best, that you can do it, and that we haven't just been saved to go to heaven when we die, but we've been blessed to be a blessing. We've been made new to renew. God, may those take root in our hearts and in our church so that we live out those values more and more each and every day. In Christ's name, the people of God said, amen. Let's stand as we respond in worship.